You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello there. Welcome to the Worship Review Podcast, your favorite, the greatest, the finest, the number one Christian worship music podcast. My name is Tyler. I'm a linguist, a former music leader in churches, and a chipper guy. And I'm here with a guy who's not so chipper. Hello. My name's Colin. I'm a history professor. He's angry that it came without boxes and bags, isn't he? <laughs> Today we're looking at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel by the Nashville-based American, although Australian-born, Christian band called uh, For King and Country. It's a duo of two brothers, Joel and Luke Smallbone, who moved to the United States when they were young uh, boys. And Need to Breathe, a South Carolina and Nashville-based Christian band, formerly led by Bear Reinhardt, who Whoa. is a musician and former successful college football player. No kidding. Who stepped away from the band in April of 2020. Whoa. So, these two bands, one who had, uh, I think within, uh, let's see, this is released in October of 2020. So, within about six months of losing their lead singer, or the lead singer leaving, uh, met up with for king and country and came up with this rendition of okami Emmanuel, which wow uh, features acoustic guitars quite heavily and things like that okay rejoice, rejoice. This is another one of those Latin hymns that gets translated into English and really takes off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that as we go into the lyrics. Yes. So, Colin, what uh, what would you say is this song about? This is a song which calls out to Christ, imploring him to come and rescue Israel. But, of course, it is... The Israel of God. It is God's called people that is in need of rescue. So it, it's sort of in the spirit of Old Testament prophecy and indeed draws upon prophecies concerning the Christ, concerning the Messiah who would come. Yep. Beautiful. And did you know this? It's based on uh, a Latin liturgy. Did you I know did this? not know that. And I think this is a play on words. I don't know for certain, but Advent is itself, although it's now just basically a noun in English, is itself originally a compound of yeah. ad and ventus. Ventus is from venio, which means to come, and ad meaning toward. So, Advent, in the most literal sense, means to, yes, it means to arrive, but it also means to come toward yeah. a point. And so, when the Latin text begins with veni, veni, Emmanuel, it's using the same root as in the heart of Advent. Mm. But it's based on the O antiphons, as they're called, O being this um, vocative particle, sung in the Roman Catholic Church during Vespers. And for those of you who are not Roman Catholic or familiar, Vespers are prayers 
offered in the late afternoon in the in the um uh cycle of prayers that they follow there in the eight days leading up to christmas um funnily enough though the original antiphons contain the vocative o the latin hymn does not yet the translator brings it back into the english translation okay i i thought vespers were prayers that were said just like this really quietly oh that's whispers oh oh (laughs) all this time no wonder nobody could hear me during vespers yeah exactly i was like these people are being way too loud for vespers yeah they are it's super loud and with a horn too even in this version of this song bonkers but colin tell me i'm gonna read the names of these seven uh antiphons i want you to tell me if these sound familiar to you after after having listened to the song O wisdom, O Lord, O root of Jesse, O key of David, Mm. O rising sun slash day spring, (laughs) O king of nations, O Emmanuel. There you go. Do these sound familiar to you? Yes. Yep. So this this is the lead on all of the verses. Because obviously this version, which I'm sure we'll get into, doesn't include all of the verses of the hymn, but... No, but the hymn is basically summarizing yeah, that. Exactly. It's just sort of a it's sort of a commentary. Yeah. Almost on on those lines. Metrical and rhyming. Mm-hmm. Well let's hop into some of these words, why don't we? Sure. Come, oh, come O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. What's going on here, Colin? Well, Emmanuel is a name of Christ. Many people will know. It means God with us, which is exactly who Christ is in so many ways. So, you know, comes right out of scripture as well. So, full marks there. Uh, and then this line speaks about captive Israel needing ransom. So, Israel was captive at the time of Christ's birth, politically captive, of course, to the Romans, but also captive to sin. Now, this verse doesn't make that distinction. It merely talks about Israel being captive. Um, And also, uh, there is more of an emphasis in this verse on what we might think of as ethnic or literal Israel, however we might want to say it. Israel, like like the Israel of the Old Testament. Um, That, um, you know, they're in exile, right? They're they're strangers to their land. Um, you know, in, this was true in the Babylon captivity. This was true of the diaspora as as uh, Hebrews were scattered throughout the Hellenistic world and then into the Roman world when that empire was in charge. So, you know, we have to kind of infer the 
additional meanings of Israel that, you know, God's Israel are the people that are called by him to be under his kingship. And we also have to infer that our captiveness is to sin. And, you know, our exile, again, is broader than a kind of political or territorial exile. We are exiled from God's presence, right? Mm -hmm. We're exiled out of the garden. And our loneliness is not merely a kind of corporeal or bodily loneliness in that we're alienated from our land or alienated from each other in terms of like a diaspora, but we're alone without fellowship with God, Hmm. right? So the Son of God, though, will appear and change this. So we get the idea of until. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, Tyler. do, Do you think that we could read more into this than I do? Um, it's certainly about the people of Israel. Yeah. I mean, eventually, obviously, the song does explain this, but, you know, just for this verse. Yeah. I think most of the time when people sing this, they're, funnily enough, I don't think they are thinking of ancient Israel. I think they're thinking of uh, the church persecuted in the present age. So, I think we can infer that it's about the church. Yeah. And Most cer- people seem to do that quickly. Yeah. yeah. But I, I guess if you had countered this song, it's weird because, you know, this is, these are songs that people know almost, you know, if, especially if they grew up in a church, like they, they're going to know these songs well before they even know what Israel means. Yeah. They're going to sing these songs as kids. So, so, probably by the time they're thinking about the words in the song, they already know what to think about the words in the song. But if you approach a song in a naive way, Right. You know, it would, it's, it's a little while before things get explained. It's good to me that um, we, we have all of these descriptions of the one who's called Emmanuel. He's the son of God. He's identified yeah. as this. Um, he ransoms Israel. And ransom we don't typically use as a verb. You usually use as a noun, like as mm-hmm. a ransom. But he buys back someone who has been in captivity. Um, and like I said earlier, there's some of these mourning sounds. The whole song kind of sounds kind of dirgy, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Um, and I always it, liked that. By it almost the way. seems like it's performative uh, mourning. Like in, in case you didn't know, like <laughs> sure. it's almost. And I'm not, I'm not being cynical here. Just listen. It's almost as if the the music leaders are saying, "Look, everyone, we need to be yes. mourning. Everybody, be sad. Things are bad, and of course, things are actually bad. But um, there's something extra dirgy about this song, and I don't yeah. know what it is. And it's in most renditions of it. I agree. Leading us into the refrain. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Yeah, which is this nice contrast from the sadness that we've just kind of had, we're drowning in. Yep. And the rejoices are very strong. Yeah. Rejoice, rejoice. Mm hmm. Yep, and then they repeat the, the the song repeats Emmanuel as if to remind us of what was said at the very beginning that Emmanuel is not just coming, but um, Emmanuel, it, it, you know, his presence is sure. Right? Hmm. This isn't a this isn't a vague hope. 
it's absolutely coming. So rejoice, like assume that it's happening because it is. Yeah. And I know that there are some pedantic people who will say, well, minor keys do not necessarily mean things are sad. Things can be happy in a minor sure, key. Sure, sure. That exists. But I will say in this song, though this refrain starts very powerfully and very, you could even say joyfully, it then resolves yeah. in something that sounds very sad again. Yeah, it almost I've never like liked the... It's like, rejoice, yeah. rejoice. And then you're right yeah. back to where you started again. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. So what I think we have going on here is a summary of Zechariah's prophecy, which is mentioned in Luke chapter one. And I think really this focuses on verses 76 through nine. And if I can read those, and I will read them in the King James Version, because I think that's where the the terms in this verse come out of. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So, you know, you see that, the day spring, because, you know, I don't know what day spring means. I had no idea what this was. And then you look at the King James Version, and then you look at some other translations, ESV, etc. It's okay, this means like dawn or the beginning of the day. So Christ is the light that comes, the the bright light of the dawn. So after the darkness, right, the first light, and he gives light to those that sit in darkness and who are in the shadow of death. So again, it's it's just like the sun, it's like a, a rising metaphor as well. So the sun gives light and it also rises. And so it brings resurrection to those who are under the curse of death. So there's a lot here, and I'd say that this verse follows the Bible pretty closely. What do you think, Tyler? Yeah, I would agree. I, my mind also went to the King James Version of uh, Psalm 23, verse oh, 4. Yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Yep. Of course, God is with us in Emmanuel, and... Um, yeah, there's just some interesting action going on here, right? He, we're imploring the day spring, the rising sun, to come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Mm-hmm. And he's cheering. He is dispersing darkness. I mean, this almost seems like it's if it's mentioning some of the metaphysics in John 1, yeah. where the light shines in the darkness and the dark either has not overcome it or cannot comprehend it yep. uh, and puts to flight death's dark shadows. I also thought of uh, 
Isaiah's prophecy that those who walk in darkness have seen mm-hmm. a great light. This is this great light is Christ. And the, you know, this is just one of those areas maybe to point out. There's a lot of light dark metaphor in Christian music of all sorts. But in this case, it's being done really well because it's first of all rooted in scripture more more of a scriptural context than just light and dark appear in scripture like this is clearly dug into yeah so the valley of the shadow of death psalm 23 and obviously in you know in luke chapter one so that gives it a bit more meat than just kind of being a metaphor about light and dark but also there's a, a kind of uh again as the song carries on there's a bit more of a sense of what the light and the dark mean. Yeah. You know? I think there may also be a reference to Malachi 4, oh, verse 2. I didn't get that. For Share that with us. you fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Mm. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And Jesus is called in other hymns as well, the sun of righteousness. Um, so, he is the rising star the rising sun Stand with us and sing this chorus. Rejoice. We come now to um, the final verse of this version of the song. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide thy heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Colin, what's the key of David? Oh, yeah. I, that really did stymie me for a little bit. I, I, I thought, what, what is this? And uh, I was doing a search through Scripture, and sure enough, this does show up a couple of times in Scripture. So we see it in a prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 22, verse 22, where God says that he will lay the king of David, the key of David, on the Messiah's shoulders. And then we actually see Jesus holding the key of David in Revelation 3, verse 7. Now, neither of those passages... Are there other passages, Tyler, that you found? Those are the only two I found, by the way. Yeah, those are the ones I found, too. So, and neither of those passages, as far as I can tell, actually explains what this key is. It's just something, but it's clearly important because it's mentioned twice, and it's mentioned both in Old and New Testament. It's mentioned in prophecies associated with the Messiah. I don't know if anyone knows what it is. I will say that the song interprets it as something which opens up the home of heaven. So as a kind of a kind of literal key that that does the function that a key would do as in it opens or unlocks something which is locked. And uh, of course there 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 are other there's also this idea of closing something too. We have closing the path to misery. So the key opens heaven and it closes the path to misery. And then there's also a way, which we could also think of as a road or a path, um, that leads on high. 
Mm-hmm. I really like... Now, this is not exactly the way that the original words were laid out. There's some slight differences um, to the kind of original hymn here. But I'm okay with this. I think, again, you, you have to do a little bit of work. It doesn't just automatically explain itself. But it seems to me that what is being said here is Christ opens heaven to us, so he justifies us. He also makes safe the way that leads to heaven, right? Which, you know, is the course of our lives. So, in other words, he justifies us and he also sanctifies us. And I think we see this, we see an echo of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says, we are his, Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, God not only uses Christ to open our dwelling place in heaven, but he actually secures us and keeps us on the path there. Hmm. Right? Okay. So, that's, again, that's that's an interpretation I bring to this song. Admittedly, that's not in the text. But I don't think it takes too much work to pull that out. Do you have thoughts on that or... Yeah, this bits. this gets at something that was vexing me a little bit because this verse personifies the king. Uh, excuse me, personifies the key of David. Mm-hmm. It it addresses Christ as the key of David, and yeah. when we saw in Revelation, Christ is holding the key of David, and also in Isaiah twenty two, uh, it says. I will place upon his shoulder the key of the house of David. Oh, I see. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Yeah, Both you're right. This, um, Christ holds or has upon yeah. his shoulder that he's key. not the key himself. Right. Yeah. And, and a good yet, point. but you mentioned just now, Christ is a means. He's not just a means, but he is yeah. a means to opening heaven's gates to the nations as well. Mm. And so that is also what a key is. It is a means. I interpreted this key as a symbol. I interpreted it as, because it's the key of the house of David. Yeah. Well, the house of David is the the house that will rule over Israel and the world forever in Christ. And so, the key of that house, you know, you can imagine it bears its, I'm not, I don't want to get too literal here, but you can imagine a key of a house bearing that insignia, having that authority. And that's sure. why when that key opens something, it doesn't get shut because it's the wielder has ultimate authority. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I was vexed a little bit because um, Scripture doesn't call Jesus the key of David. These um, antiphons call Jesus the key of David. I could hmm. see there being a sense in which he is the means or the mechanism for yeah. opening the gates of heaven to us and closing off the gates of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, the path to misery, which I think is what is referred to. Um, but yeah, it just it it seemed like a little bit of a stretch to me. If yeah, that makes sense. I think that's you know I think that's fair. I don't think that's too pedantic. Okay, fair enough. Also, I mean, let's just be let me be extra pedantic. Jesus doesn't just make safe the way that leads on high, right? He sure. leads us all the way. It's not like yeah, no, he got true. rid of all the threats and now, and now you go march, ahead and go do it. Yeah, know? sure. But no, he literally carries <laughs> us there, right? I mean, this may be a better metaphor. No, it's a, it's a fair critiques. Well, and then at the end we have this um, refrain with a sing it interspersed. Inter- <laughs> sure, okay. uh, what did you think of this song overall, Colin? 
okay. This is one of those songs that I think is on the edge of... On the one hand, it's vague in places, for sure. On the other hand, I think it's pretty good poetry. Like, like the meanings... The meanings of the metaphor and symbols in this song are veiled, although I think they're pretty thinly veiled and they're pretty easy to access because the metaphors tend to be coherent. So, on the whole, uh, I think this is a pretty good rendition of. I, I think I think the song itself is understandable and comprehensible and true and biblically sound it's just a little bit murky a little bit and again not necessarily in ways that are bad but i don't know uh and i don't also mind this uh particular version either they have omitted some verses or quite a few verses that they omitted why would they there's some really good verses. i mean there are. There are some nice ones. I mean, did you have some in mind that you thought were pretty good? I do. Uh, from the most common translation of this, uh, for example, um, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. Or, O come Adonai, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law, Christ the lawgiver here, in yeah. cloud and majesty and awe, rejoice. I mean, it, there's yeah. just so much missing. I agree this. with you. I mean, it's, you know, I think the song keeps the the absolute minimum verses to allow the song to continue to be, you know, biblical and sound. But I do think you're right. Like those verses would add some depths and some depth and dimension to this Emmanuel that we're singing about and that we're desiring to come, and it will help us understand his authority and his ability to do these things, and you know, also what what we're being saved from. I mean, yeah, the, that first one that you read really outlines it in better ways than any of the verses that are yeah. kept do. Satan's tyranny, yeah, being liberated from that—that that explains exactly. the ransom. There's a lot. Yeah. So it's I It's almost like a key that unlocks a <laughs> That's true. So I take it then yeah that that's you've you've kind of given us a sense of your thoughts yeah. then Tyler, yeah. Yep. Pretty good but pretty good. I think there's some omissions and there really isn't much added to this other than a bunch of O's and a sing it at one point. So there's not really much to critique that way. Yeah. Uh, I think musically it's very very beautiful too. I mean they do a really good job. Yeah, musically. So yeah, they're impressive performers for sure. Yep. What'd you give it, Colin? I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five. Millie Vanillies. Millie, but what? Does that reference mean anything to you, Tyler? Millie Vanilli. It sounds like a nickname uh, of a character from okay. a cartoon. Anyone who's older than probably thirty, there's a fine. You'd have to have been aware of musical going ons goings on in the early nineties and late eighties. So uh, yes, those were the good old days, weren't they? Old comrade so from the good old days. I was just on the edge of being aware of what had happened. There was a, a group called Millie Vanilli. Uh, I think it was like a 
they were Europeans of some kind of German, French, Italian, I can't remember. And they became very, very popular, very, very quick in the late eighties, maybe. And they were performing. And during one of their shows, there was a technical problem. And uh, as they were singing, suddenly the vocal uh, started repeating over and over and over again. And so it immediately became clear that they were not actually performing their own music. I wanted to die. It stopped. Girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl. 80,000 people. Girl, you know it's girl, you know. You know, I couldn't repeat it 15 times. Girl, you know. It got obvious. So I stopped. I panicked. I ran off stage. Truly Brown, who used to work for MTV, ran after me. I didn't want to go back to stage. I had enough. 80,000 people waiting. I said, I have enough. I quit. And Awkward. forever... Well, not forever, I guess, because you don't you don't know it. But for a period of time, <laughs> Millie Vanilli, the name was synonymous with faking it, you know, and, okay. and you know, in some way. And I have to say, I don't want to be defamatory, so I'm not going to say that I know something or that I clearly saw something. But in watching a live performance of this song, the most popular version of this song, there were several aspects to the performance that made it seem like it would be appropriate to reference Millie Vanilli. Uh, there, the, first of all, the it definitely sounds to me, at least, that in my opinion, uh, there's some auto tune on the uh, on the track on the on the live performance, but also uh, there's some breathing noises and other things that I'm not hearing that I would expect to hear at a live performance and. Again, maybe they're using a really powerful compressor and it just happens to sound like it's been pre-recorded and that may be what's going on. But Yeah, but it is a music video, right? So you Well, but it's it was a live a, performance. They have they have microphones in front of them in the music video. Is no, that what you mean? No, no, there's a there's a performance video that I oh, watched. Oh, you're not talking about this one. No. Okay. Well, no. uh this makes sense now cuz I watched a performance video of them no no no. by that i mean a, a video of a live performance at a concert a, or at a supposedly like live performance okay okay well that is curious and this yeah. was uh for king and country yeah okay again not saying not saying that they lip-synced but there okay. were some curiosities well my rating criterion or at least my quantifier is also based on a performance or performative thing okay and I'm also going to give it four. I smacked ah. my um, chair when you said four because I didn't want to give it the same thing you did. But uh, you went first. Um, in, in the acoustic performance video of this song, the lead singer, who is, I believe, um, who is, not I believe, he, Joel Smallbone, the lead singer, Joel Smallbone, does something interesting with his microphone in the acoustic performance video of this. Shall come to me, oh, we So I'm going to give it four out of five shakes of the mic because he grabs his microphone while holding a note, the L of Israel. He swings it from side to side across his face so that it can only pick up him 
his voice on the um, interspersed moments. Yeah, so it sounds like, like modulates it. Yeah. So I'm going to give it four out of five swings of the mic. Nice. Okay. You should watch that whole performance video, by the way. It's the, the, they do some, I don't know whether no, I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but there's just some minor dance moves thrown in here and there and things like that. So yeah, four out of five, a decent score for this song. Yeah. Um, It, It was another song for me that was just kind of on the edge. And in this case, enough weighed it down to bring it down to a four but sure. it was close for me cool well listeners thank you so much for tuning into this uh, program we appreciate you uh, we ask that you would share us with uh, other people interested in the ideas behind these songs because uh, it turns out there's a lot to talk about underneath the surface mm. so um, share us with your friends and your pastor and uh, we hope you have a good week take care catch you next monday You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.